Welcome to Diverse City Church Sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's message by Pastor Ray. But I just want to jump right in and, and talk to you about lighting it up. And, and, and the reference that we used and will be staying in is Matthew chapter 6. I want to start at verse 22 and end at verse 23 just to kind of set the groundwork again and then I'm just going to jump right in it says your eye is the lamp that provides light to your entire body when your eye is healthy your whole body is filled with light but when your eye is unhealthy your whole body will be filled with darkness. See, our eye, as I mentioned last week, is the lamp to our body. And our eyes is what allows either light or darkness into our body. We talked about how our bodies consist of our mind, our heart, and our spirit... And when we talk about our eyes, we're talking about our eyes feeding our hearts, our mind, and our spirit. And I said that if our eyes are healthy, our bodies, our heart, our mind, our spirit will be full of light. But if our eyes are unhealthy, then our bodies will be full of darkness. And the thing I want us to see right here in the New Living Translation, the NIV, a lot of the more modern translations, it just says, when our eye is healthy. And, and I talked about a healthy eye produces light inside of us, but an unhealthy eye produces darkness inside of us. And then in the King James Version, it says, if thine eye is single, your body will be full of light, but if your eye is evil then your body shall be full of darkness. Now, keep in mind that it says, if your eye is single, you will be full of light. And some of y'all married folks will say, that's why I've been dark for so long. Because I ain't single no more. Past that, I got my word. I'm leaving here and I'm getting a divorce. And I want you to know it ain't talking about that kind of single. It says, if your eye is single, your eye, if your eye is single, that means if you are singularly focused on one thing and one thing alone, you will have light inside of you. But when you start to think about many things, that's when darkness comes inside of you. So I want us to see the connection here in the King James Version. It says single, and then it says evil. The other one says healthy and unhealthy. So we know that singles help. And we know evil is unhealthy, but I want us to really dissect what, what King James Version is saying. It says, if your eye is single, if you are focused on Jesus and Jesus alone, then you will be full of light. But if you are scatterbrained and you're focused on many things, he calls that evil. It's important that we see that because as Christians, we're not called to have Jesus on our mind on Sunday, but then on work on Monday. That's scatterbrained. 
Some, some, of, some, of us, some of us go to work and we wonder why am I so dark? Because we focus on Monday's work and not Jesus. God did not call us to be scatterbrained. He called us to be singular focus. Jesus. When our eyes are not focused on the things of God, it causes us to be in a dark place. The enemy knows that it affects us when we focus on things outside of God. The enemy knows that he knows that if he can take your focus off of the things of God, that it'll make you think about things that aren't of God. And therefore it creates a light in you that's not of God, which is in turn is darkness. See, the enemy knows that he can get to you if he gets you to focus on things outside of God. That's why he is constantly, continuously, day in and day out, habitually coming before you with many worries and concerns. Because his whole purpose is to get you to focus on everything but God. Because when you focus on God, you feel good. But when you focus on everything else, you don't. So he wants to get our focus off of God. And on absolutely anything else but God. The only thing that the enemy can do is replay our past over and over again. And attempt to deceive you with your future. The devil has no control of your future. He can deceive you and make you think your future is one thing when it's something else. He can make you perceive your future as negative. But the enemy has no control of your future. All he can do is replay your past. Did you hear me? The enemy wants you to believe that your future is dim and and dark and hopeless. And if you believe the enemy, you'll be depressed tomorrow. But if you believe Jesus, you'll have light tomorrow. Tomorrow's inner man is contingent upon how you view tomorrow before you enter it. And the enemy knows it, so he's trying to bombard you with a perception that's not of God. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Ray. See, God is in control of our future. And the enemy cannot mess it up in any way. The only thing the enemy can do is lie and replay our past and try to deceive us about our future. And we have to begin to see our future and our situations differently. God's in control of our future. God is in control of our future. Let me say one more time. God is in control of your future. We need to focus on the Lord. Some of you are saying, well, what are you telling me? Every, every day of the week, all I do is focus on God. Jesus, 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 Jesus. You, no, it just means that you have Jesus as the focal point in everything that you do. When you go to work, what's on your mind is working, but what's in your heart and your focus is Jesus. Everything that we do as Christians, the context of life and the way we live and the practical application is whatever we're doing that day in that moment, we're doing it with Jesus in mind. When you're filling out your tax records, you could get another thousand bucks if you would just lie. But if you lie, it's because your focus left Jesus and went on money. But if your focus is Jesus, when you're filling out your tax papers, then you will never lie on your taxes. 
See, the problem isn't we're supposed to be so holy and only talk about Jesus all day. The problem is, is you do things that don't have Jesus on your mind. He wants us to laugh and have a good time and play sports and watch ESPN, go to the movies, dance, and have a great time. He didn't say we couldn't stop doing the things we like to do. We just do it with Jesus in mind. But a lot of us, we don't know how to have Jesus in everything. Therefore, we compartmentalize Jesus And we have him here and we have him there. But Jesus is supposed to be in everything that we do. See, this is why the enemy wants to get inside of your head. He wants to distort the truth and make you see and believe the lie. One of the oldest tricks in the book is getting in your opponent's head. I remember watching a movie and y'all was about to laugh at me and it's all good. I'm cool. I'm good. But I remember watching a movie with my three princesses called Ice Princess. By a show of hands, who have seen Ice Princess? Some of you had, you have kids. Some of you, I don't know why you, it's kind of creepy, but it's okay. Grandkids, maybe. I'm going to just say grandkids. Or I'm just going to say your, your adopted children, spiritual children that you don't have, but I love you and I don't want to see you as a creep. So, I'm just, yeah. But I remember sitting down watching Ice Princess one day. I've seen all of the princess movies. And and as I sat there and watched the movie, uh, the, the real thought behind this movie or theme was there was a teenage girl and she had a love for figure skating. But she had an opponent... That she continued to get whispering lies in her ear from. I remember in the movie, she was trying and aspiring to be this great princess on ice, so a figure skater. But every time she would go in to have their competitions, there would be this one opponent that was threatened by her. And she would go up and say things like, do you know that the reason you were picked last is because they really didn't believe that you could do it? And then another time they say, oh, you know, you, you, you were picked first because they think you're so great, but really you're not good at all. And, and whatever in the movie, what you're seeing is you're seeing the opponent constantly whispering in this young teenage girl's ear. And then her friend said the only reason, because the girl had kind of like, oh, I really can't do it. They're saying I can't do it. They're saying I can't do it. I can't do this. There's no way I can do it. And the friend said the only reason that the opponent is whispering in your ear is because she knows that you could win. See, I believe the only reason that the devil tries to get inside of your head is because he knows that if you get the right perception of who you are, then you too could win and he may be defeated. See, he knows that if he gets your eyes jacked up and he gets you to start seeing things in an unhealthy light, that your future's dim. He knows that if you get your eyes healthy and you get a singular focus and you start seeing yourself 
seeing life and every situation through the eyes of God, that you will be victorious every time. Can I tell you that the devil is intimidated by you? And that's the only reason why he keeps whispering lies in your ears is because he wants you to believe the report of the devil. But we need to say, no, sir, I will believe the report of the Lord. I want to tell you about another female. Her name is Rhonda Rousey. Anybody know who that is? Raise your hand if you know who Rhonda Rousey is. That means y'all like to fight. Ooh, that's what I'm talking about. Rhonda Rousey, she's a beast. Uh, She's a beast. I I think she'd beat up most of the guys in here. Um, and, And she's a UFC fighter. The only problem with Rhonda Rousey was she was very arrogant. I think she was about 12 or 13 and, and oh, she had no losses. She'd just be knocking dudes out. She was beef. She talked a lot of trash. She was very arrogant. And there was a girl who is called the preacher's daughter. And her name is Holly Holm. And Holly was this girl that was kind of the underdog. Matter of fact, it was a seven to one fight. That means if you put a hundred bucks on Holly, I don't think you should gamble, but if you did and you put a hundred bucks on Holly, you would win 700 bucks if she won. It was completely rigged against her. They knew she couldn't win. And then on the day of weigh-in, you saw these two women stand head to head and look at each other. You know how they do this, right? And they're on both sides doing this. And, and, and Rhonda is just so intimidating, talking so much trash. And she's going to win. You're the underdog. It's seven to one. You don't stand a chance against me. You wait until fight day. I'm going to knock you out and have. Had we been Holly, most of us would have never got in the ring. Because the enemy begins to talk so loud in a lot of our voices, heads, that we begin to believe the voice of the enemy and perceive ourselves a loser before we ever step in and fight. I need you to know that Holly went in there and in the second round she knocked Rhonda out. I need you to know for just a second that it doesn't matter if the odds are stacked against you. Because if God be for you and you get in the ring, that you'll knock out the devil and win every single time. The problem is not the issues or the people in your life. The problem is that you've surrendered to the negative voices in your life. We need to make a declaration that we're going to move forward regardless of what people say. Because one of the worst things that we could do is get jacked up eyesight. See, our opponent is going to continue to do his best to get our heads off track and to make us focus on everything but God. He knows that he will win if he can simply get our eyes off of Jesus. He knows it. And we cannot allow life or the enemy or anyone else to get our eyes off of Jesus. We cannot allow ourselves to get into a dark place where God doesn't have center stage. So I ask you, and you don't need to answer, but would you say maybe I'm in a dark place? Can you say you're full of light and completely encouraged by God and everything that you view life through is through the word and promises of God? Because if you don't view your entire life through the promises of God, 
then you're not fully full of light. You can't be. Because it says if your eyes are not healthy, that inside of you is darkness. So we need to be different in the way we view life. Our perception has to change. Let me elaborate real quick about a dark place. Some of you are in a dark place and some of you are not. And it may be because you don't really understand what a dark place means. See, a dark place doesn't always mean you feel bad. It doesn't mean that you're depressed. It doesn't mean you're suicidal. It doesn't mean you wish your life would end. Some dark places hurt and some dark places feel good. Wow. So you're telling me I can feel good but be in the dark? Yeah. See how I got quiet? <laughs> That's what happens. That's what's so cool about God. It's like there's words he gives for people and it's like. See, some dark places hurt. Some feel good. Some dark places make you want to quit. But some dark places make you want to get up. See, therefore, you cannot determine if you are in a dark place just by the way you feel. Uh Uh-oh. I, I need you to elaborate, Pastor, because I'm not quite getting what you're saying. See, see, what I'm saying is some people are in a dark place that's connected to a tragedy that happened in their family. They had a death. They had a loss of a job. There, there was an eviction notice. They, they found out they're about to have their car repossessed or their home foreclosed on. Or they just found out from the doctor that their wife or husband or child has cancer. And if you focus on that tragedy, it causes you to become defeated, become depressed. And you're looking so much on what has happened to you that now you feel terrible inside. You're jacked up. You don't want to get out of bed. You just want to stay in the dark. You don't want to commune with anybody. That's a dark place that a lot of us can understand and relate to because there's a feeling of darkness connected to it. But let me tell you about a dark place that does not have a bad feeling. It's called lust. Uh Uh-oh. See, because with lust... It doesn't necessarily feel bad. Matter of fact, I just want to be honest with you and say, <clears throat> lust feels good. No, Pastor, you're not supposed to say that. I mean, I, I mean, you're, aren't you aren't you biblical? Oh, oh, yeah, I, I'm biblical, and, and I'm so biblical that I got to be honest, and I'm not going to lie and fake the front. I'm going to tell you, lust feels good. If lust didn't feel good, pornography wouldn't be taking over our culture. Oh, lust feels real good. No one looks at a woman, if you're a man or a man, if you're a woman, no one looks at an opposite sex, someone you're attracted to and starts undressing them in their mind, but inside they feel depressed. No, it's the exact opposite. When you start lusting, something takes over you and it feels so good and your mind's telling you to quit, but your body's saying you can't because it feels so good. Don't tell me darkness always hurts. I'm preaching to somebody today. 
Because I today want you to understand and us to understand that darkness does not correlate with I'm going to feel bad. I want you and I to know today that sometimes we are in a dark place and we don't even know it because it feels good. We are making darkness a feeling. And can I tell you, darkness is not a feeling. It's Jesus. And anything outside of the context of Jesus in the word of God is darkness. And maybe your darkness doesn't feel good, but I celebrate darkness darkness that doesn't feel good because you know you're in darkness but what about darkness that feels wonderful and you have no clue you're in darkness because you are are dependent on a feeling to get you out but what if you don't feel it whoa that's why in Matthew chapter t- uh, 6, 22 and 23, when Jesus says, if your eye is single, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is scatterbrained or evil or unhealthy, your body will be full of darkness. And it says, oh, how dark it is. Because what happens is we deceive ourselves into thinking it is light and it is okay and that it is right. And then we are internalizing darkness, but we think it's light. For years, we've been told you can look, but don't touch. You can window shop, but don't buy. You can have an emotional affair, but don't have sex. Or you can, you can play around and make out and go to third base. Just don't go all the way. And can I tell you that that's a lie from the pits of hell? And yes, on paper, you may be able to say you're a virgin, but can I tell you inside you're a hoe? We are a perfect church for imperfect people of all cultures and nationalities. Even your pastor need Jesus. For some reason, y'all say ho outside, but y'all say it in here. If I can't say it up here, you can't say it out there. There is no difference between the pulpit lingo and, and, the, and the world lingo and your home lingo. So all y'all about to criticize me and never come back to church. All right, moving on. The goal of this series is to provoke your thinking. That's the goal. The goal, the goal is to provoke your thinking. It, it's to make you begin to challenge yourself. Because even though we can on paper say I am not or I'm doing good or I haven't done this. The, the question really beyond that is are your eyes healthy? Are you viewing everything through the eyes of the Lord? Do you have a singular focus on everything you do? Because if you don't, you're not letting light in, you're letting darkness in. I want to provoke your thinking. As I mentioned last week, your eyes are the gateway to your body. The gateway to the Midwest is the arch. And in order to get to the West, whether it be Colorado, California, wherever you're trying to get to, and you're coming from the East, you have to go through the gateway. You enter, enter into the Midwest at the arch and you continue on West. So is our eyes. Our eyes are what allow things into our heart. And our eyes feed our heart. We cannot change our heart. Only God can change our heart. But we can change and control what we feed our heart. Anybody hear that? 
You, you cannot control your heart. Your heart has been formed through years of being taught what you've been taught, being raised around what you've been raised around. Your worldviews are different than someone else's worldviews. Your convictions are different than someone else's convictions. Our preferences are different. What we believe is right and wrong is different because all of us were raised in different families. We had different things taught to us. So all of our hearts vary. But, but what we need to realize is that our hearts are jacked up and only God can fix them. But we can do something about it. You cannot make your heart less evil or take the evil out, but you can stop allowing the evil in. Your eyes will either let in light and feed your heart things that are good. Or your eyes will let in darkness and keep feeding your heart the things that are evil. We cannot change our heart as mentioned before. Only God can. But you can change what you feed your heart. So today I want to talk to you about things that are inside of you. And and, and the first couple are going to make you get silent again. This week's going to be a little bit discouraging and toe-stepping. And and, and you're going to leave maybe feeling a little bit bad about yourself. But that's the goal. That's really the goal. Is that we are exposed that our ways are exposed and that God can bring healing to us. That's the goal. So, so I want to just, I just want to mention a few things about what's inside of you. A lot of you, most of you, maybe not all of you, but every one of you have at least one of them, if not multiple, maybe even a lot of you, all of them. And, 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 and we have to see these things that are inside of us and figure out a way practically to stop feeding the thing that's already there. Remember, because as your treasure is, there your heart be also. So if you have in your heart lust, with your eyes, you're going to lust because you're treasuring the lust. So we want to change what's happening in our hearts. How do we do that? We need to start starving our flesh. And feeding our spirit. And our eyes are going to help us to feed our heart, our spirit, the right thing. If we want God to change us on the inside, we need to change what we look at on the outside. Let me say that one more time and then I'm going to give you the first point. If we want God to change us on the inside, we need to change what we look at on the outside. Let me give you an example. Some of you have lust issues. And that's our first point. Lust. Some of you have lust in you. Now, lust means, by definition, that you are, you, you, want, you want things. And, and most of the times it's connected to sexual. You have a desire for, for sexual gratification. But it, it could also be a desire for, for other stuff. But, but today I'm talking about sexual lust. And, 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 and here's the truth. The truth is, is some of you have sexual lust that was handed down to you. It's not fair. 
It's not right that your kid, your, your parents had pornography laying around the house and you put in a, a VHS or a DVD or, or you got online and you clicked the button and when you clicked it, you saw what you've never seen before and immediately you had feelings that you never had before and the next thing you know, you got a love for something you never loved before and now you find yourself as a teenager, a young adult or an older adult with the issue of love. And and it's not fair that you have lust if it was handed down to you generationally or you went over to some friend's house and was introduced to it. It's not fair. It's not fair that now my eyes are always looking at the opposite sex in an unhealthy manner. It's not fair. It's not fair that I have become the way I am inside because of my surroundings. You're right. It's not fair. But now we know that we don't want it. So how do I change it? Well, you can't change your heart. Only God can. So what do you do? You start feeding your heart something different. You cannot stop the lust inside of you. We talked about last week about if you're in the grocery store and you're walking down aisle seven and you happen to see something nice in aisle six. And and your lust says, oh yeah, I need beans in aisle six. Right? And you say, I'm just gonna look. I mean, I'm just gonna look. I ain't even gonna say hi. I, I just wanna see their face. That's it, just their face. I, I'm, I will not look at anything else, right? Well, so you go, and, and here's the thing. You may not look at anything but your face, at their face, but you still failed. Because we didn't need beans in aisle six. So what are we feeding? I mean, it was already there. That's why you wanted to go to aisle six. The Holy Spirit said, don't go to aisle six. But your eyes said, I need to go just one time. And then you go to aisle six and it's innocent. But then you get home and wonder why you still struggles in other areas of your life. Because if you can't master aisle six, you can't master lust. You say, but it's so simple, Pastor. It's just me window shopping. No, if you can't beat aisle six, you'll never beat lust. Preach it. Preach it. Hush. It says in Matthew 5, 28, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman or a man, the opposite sex with lust has already committed adultery in their heart. All you need to do is look at them. If you look at them with lust, you've already committed adultery. Our world tells us as long as we don't call them, as long as we don't Facebook, as long as we don't do a video, as long as we don't hook up, as long as we don't whatever, then we're cool. But Jesus says if you even go down aisle six, you've already committed adultery. So if your eye causes you to lust... I'm telling you to gouge that bad boy out. Get rid of it. You, you do whatever you can do. And, and look what it's saying here. Look, look at this. Look, look what it's saying. Jesus, he, he's not so much focusing on the lust in the heart. He's focusing on the sight of the eye. He didn't say if you have lust in your heart, you better figure out a way to get rid of it. He says if you have lust in your heart, you better do something about your eyes. 
You see what I'm saying? See, a lot of us blame it on our parents that we still got lust issues. And can I tell you that your parents have nothing to do with your lust issues, your eyes do? And that you have the ability to put your foot down and say, I'm not going to do this anymore. We have to make our eyes look a different way. We have to make ourselves not go to the site on the internet that we keep on visiting. We need to put our foot down and throw our DVDs and VHSs away and stop going to those places to meet those people that flatter us. We need to be honest with ourselves. If there's a gym and there's someone at the gym that you know flatters you, stop going. If you know there's that man at that one place that always gives you attention and you love it, stop going. If we start being flattered by someone, we need to run because it's not feeding our heart, it's killing it. See, but these messages aren't preached very often. We just hear messages about going to heaven and paying off your debt and God's going to bless you. But God can't bless you if your heart's jacked up. See, we excuse ourselves from those conversations that aren't healthy. That's what we should do. We, we need to excuse ourselves. Let, let me give you an example. I, I see this am, among men a lot, but, but, but I know it happens among, among women as well. Uh, they call it locker room talk, or maybe you're at work and you're on lunch break and you're sharing stories about old girl or old, old, old guy, and boy, I met so-and-so, blase, woo-wop, boy, let me tell you what he was, what it was, this, that, right? And you're going into these stories. If you're sitting in this environment, you're not lusting, you don't go down aisle six no more, You left the gym where you got flattered. You're no longer talking to the people that feed that monster of lust. But you still go to work and you have those couple people that want to sit around and share stories about opposite sex folks. You need to stand up and leave because you need to say, God, I don't want to feed the monster inside of me any longer. And I refuse to allow myself to sit here in this. We need to do that. Look what it says in 1 Timothy. This will be, this will be eye-opening. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectfully as you would your own father. So first it says if there's an older man, you should be interacting with him like he's your father. Uh-oh. And then it says, then younger men, ladies. Look, look, I'm talking to you right now. Because I know, look, ladies got, y'all got it good. Because men are dogs and ladies are wonderful. But I tell you what. Women are dogs too. See, nobody won't say nothing about that. But it's true. It is true. I mean, look, it it happens all the time. Anyway, we'll stop right there. Men, we got a bad rap. We got it honestly. I I just wish women had it too. That's all I ask. We ain't alone in the game. So, So women, it says if there's a younger man... It says, I wish that you would think of them and treat them like your brothers. Then it says, treat older women, men, as your mother, and treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sister. What I want us to see is the scripture is telling us that we are to see women older than us as our mothers or as for, men, uh, for women as a father figure if it's a, if it's a man. And you're supposed to see younger men as your brother. But we are to have relationships with people that are healthy not see them like a piece of meat or a sex object but we should see them like fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters 
That's where it starts. So he says, so what do I do? I got lust in me. You need to make yourself start seeing people as your mother or father or brother or sister. Mm. I don't think that's possible, Pastor. I mean, come on. I mean, you know, you know, ooh, I don't know if that's possible. So I ask you a question. Does anyone have a friend that's maybe an opposite sex? And you would prefer that the relationship just stays friends. You were, you were legitimately friends. You would never even want to be in a relationship. It never even crossed your mind. And now there's someone who comes along, another friend or someone that kind of knows you, and says, why don't you hook up with your friend so-and-so? Y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about? Well, why? Why? I mean, y'all are always together. You talk so much. Why don't you and them hook up? And here's the answer. I just don't see them that way. Right? I just don't see them that way. Yeah, but what do you mean? I mean, you all got all the goods. You fit your, 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 the way you interact, your, your chemistry, the, the way you all support each other, your friendship. This is what a marriage is. You have everything to make it work. And you cannot convince them because in their mind, they are convinced this is their little sister, their little brother, their long childhood friend. And it could never be anything else but that because they don't see it like that. And I look as an outsider many times and I'm thinking that could be the best marriage around. I wish they could see what I could see. See, because it's all about what you see. Can I tell you that if you would just start seeing women, fellas, as sisters and mothers rather than sex objects, that God will start changing you on the inside because you're saying, Lord, make my vision different. What ladies, same thing. We need to say, God, if I have friends that are men and I only see them as a friend, why can't you make it where I see all men that way? You can. I I want you to know that it's possible to do so. The second thing I want you to see is hate. I'll go a little faster for this one. Hate. Matthew 5, 21. It says you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are a subject to judgment. But I say to you that even anger, hatred of someone else, you are still subject to judgment. We need to start seeing the need to recognize that internal hate and anger is also dishonoring to God and we will be judged for it. We need to see that. We need to see that our hatred and our ugliness, our anger is just as bad as murder. And that means that we are feeding our hearts with mess. Then it says in Matthew five forty three. It says, you have heard it, that it was said, that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. We need to start seeing the importance of loving people who are hard to deal with. The reason some of you can't get beyond a heart of hatred, or as the scripture says, a heart of murder, 
The reason you can't get beyond being so grumpy and irritable and frustrated is because of the way you see people. And and Jesus is saying that we need to start seeing people differently. And, And now we're seeing the context of I can no longer have anger and hatred towards you or I'm as bad as a murderer. So now you see that even your perception is wrong. But then secondly, we're seeing that, that, that I always thought if someone's ugly to me that I can be ugly back or at least I can disconnect and disassociate with them. But Jesus is saying that I need to bless those who curse me. And I need to do good to those who hate me. And I need to pray for those who spitefully use me and persecute me. Because that means I'm a son of God. That means you're a daughter of God. See, some of you are saying, how do I get over bitterness? Start loving people who don't like you. How do I get over irritability? Start being gracious to people who aren't gracious to you. How is it, pastor, that I can change my heart, change your perception? Start loving people right where they are, even though they don't deserve it. First Peter 4 and 8 says, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Can I tell you that when we really love somebody, we can excuse their mistakes? Love covers a multitude of sins. That means that your love for people will excuse the things that they've done to you. And you say, but, but you don't understand. My heart is so heavy. I've been so hurt. I'm so frustrated. I've been taken advantage of. And, and, and pastor, I want healed from this, but I don't know how. And the Lord's saying it starts with you. If you want me to heal your heart, you need to change your sight. You see that person that you call enemy? I call them friend. You see that person that you curse out? I say bless them. You see that person that you keep repaying the same thing that they do to you, you do back to them. I'm telling you to not repay evil for evil. And I'm telling you that God is saying to his people that if you want him to heal, you want him to heal you internally, start taking him at his word and applying it the best you can externally and start feeding your heart things of him. If you just keep compiling hatred and bitterness and resentment and you keep retaliating and don't curse word for curse word and tit for tat and then you say, why can't I get a heart full of love and joy? It's because whatever your eyes is, your heart is the third thing that I want you to see and I want to mention in closing is an unforgiving darkness unforgiveness I didn't even know unforgiveness wasn't a word did y'all know that unforgiveness ain't a word that's jacked up that ain't right (laughs) unforgiving is a word unforgiving is a word unforgiven but not unforgiveness Forgiveness is a word, and unforgiving is a word, but not unforgiveness. I don't get it. Who made up this language anyway? I I mean, I I was angry when I typed in unforgiveness, and it had a red line all the way under it. And I thought, I mean, I know the MacBook is amazing, and there's not much better, but truly, this thing is wrong. So, uh, you know, I I, I hit my double finger, and, and I pull up the word, and it says it's incorrect, and it didn't even give me a suggestion. And I knew it was wrong. I Googled it. And, and, the, and the dictionary said it was wrong. 
But even though there's no word for unforgiveness, can I tell you that unforgiveness is real? I wish it was only real out there, but can I tell you that unforgiveness is real in here? Some of you have unforgiveness of family, ex-church members, people in this church, people that you call friend. Maybe you have unforgiveness with your spouse. And God is saying that you need to start changing your perspective because I can't do a work inside of you until you start seeing the work that needs to be done. And today, I'm trying to get you to start seeing things differently. That's my goal, is to get you to start seeing things differently. I really believe that God is trying to, trying to heal and set free and do a marvelous work inside of us, but we first need to see it. Do you know that you can't have a good marriage if you can't see a good marriage? Did you ever think about that? I mean, if you don't see good dudes for us fellas, you don't know what being a good dude is. If you haven't seen a good husband, you don't know what being a good husband is. You can hear people talk about it, but until you see it. And and really, I think a lot of us are talking about what we want. But really, how can we want it or even know what we want when we've never seen it? I thank God for people like Billy Humphrey who came and preached here about two months ago because his 18 to 20 years of marriage that I was able to come in on about six or eight years in and then watch him for the 12 years of my marriage helped me to see a marriage that was healthy because I never saw it. And you know, a lot of times when we don't see it, we, we talk about having good finances, being having a good budget. But what if you said, oh yeah, I'm great with money. But you're good with money is only as good as money as your parents. And if they're good with money, wasn't that good with money. But you've never seen what being good with money really is. You become okay with being okay because you thought okay was good because that's what you thought good was. And a lot of us are going through the motions of Christianity and we're only being as good as the next person. And God is saying, I'm trying to call you so much higher. I'm trying to give you roots that are so much deeper. I'm trying to take you so much further. And you are only scratching the surface of what I got for you. And God is saying, I'm trying to reveal who you really are. And I'm trying to show you what you can really have. And when you see it, and then you have new expectations and deeper convictions and a higher standard, and you say, I'm going to do different because I want what's happening out here to match what's happening in here. And I've seen it happening over there. And I've got instructions from them. And I've had a mentor from them. And I've seen what they were doing over there. And that's what I want. And now we begin to see it happening all around us. We're convicted because we're not who we need to be inside of us. And we say, Lord, it's time for a change. That's what God's trying to do. He's trying to bring change to us. And and can I tell you that unforgiveness will keep you in bondage? Matthew 6, 14. It says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. Right? But then look. But if you refuse to forgive others... Your father will refuse to forgive you. Well, we must see that receiving forgiveness from God means that we need to offer forgiveness to people. Like they happen hand in hand. And really that's scary for me because 
I'm only forgiven for as much as I forgive. And I talk to people who have deep resentment and unforgiveness and bitterness and hatred and animosity in their hearts to parents and church people and co-workers and, and different bosses and, and different experiences. And it happened 10 years ago, but they're still in captivity by it. And they're wondering, God, why can't I get a breakthrough? And God is saying, I can't give you a breakthrough until you give the one who hurts you. A breakthrough. See, I think the problem sometimes is we want God to forgive us. But then we turn around and we're unwilling to forgive others. In closing, Matthew chapter 18 in verse 32, Jesus said that he told this parable and he was talking about the evil servant. And he was talking about the gracious king. And and the scripture says that the king got all the people that owed him money together. And he began to one by one meet with them. It was kind of like the IRS or, or, or that bill we get every year, January, February, that says we owe so many dollars for the cars we own. And it's, y'all call it property tax, which is whack. I've never even heard of that before until I got to Missouri. It's whack. I don't support it. I think it's unbiblical. I think it's demonized and demonically inspired by the devil. But anyway, that, that's another story. But, but all, all that to say, it's a great place to be. It's, it, real estate's really cheap here. Um, it's a great place to get ahead. So there's a lot of whole another good stuff. But let, let's stop there. Okay, long story short. Um, so, so you get this letter in the mail that says you need to pay money. So then you make it right. Right? That, that's what the king was doing. The king got everybody together and says, you owe me this much. You owe me this much. You owe me this much. And he got to the one guy and says, bro, how did your debt get so big? You owe me a million dollars. And he said, I know, I know, but I'm so sorry. It's been crazy. My life has been unmanageable. I don't know how I got to this place. It's been so hard. King, I'm asking you, please, just give me a chance. Let me tell you about my wife. Let me tell you about my children. Let me tell you about my home situation. And he began to give this long, exhaustive narrative about his life and how bad it is and how terrible things are. And the king was moved with compassion and forgave his debt. And then this evil servant went to one of his servants and said, bro, you owe me a thousand bucks and I need my money. And the evil servant said, let me tell you about my wife and my kids and my family situation. It's been so hard and so difficult. And, and, And the scripture says that the evil servant did not forgive the thousand dollar debt. And now it says in verse 32 of chapter 18, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Some of you have pled with the pleaded to the Lord. You pleaded, you pleaded, you pled your case. You you said, Lord, I'm in a messed up place and I need forgiveness. And he forgave. And that's what this is saying. It says, you came to me and you asked me to forgive that tremendous debt because you were so in a terrible place. And I forgave you. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I have had mercy on you? 
And here's the key part. We see this all the time. This is a scripture that many of y'all have heard lots of times. But, but here's what a lot of you probably haven't heard. Look what it says after that. It says, then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. That's what I want you to see. We must always see that we too have been forgiven. And that we can never forget how God was so patient with us. If God was patient with us, how dare I not be patient with someone else? But then look at the last part. The last part of the scripture says that the man was put into prison until his debt was worked out. Y'all see that? He was in bondage, right? Prison is bondage. Y'all agree? He was in bondage until his debt was worked out, right? Y'all with me still? So some of you guys, here's what the Lord told me, is that some people are still in bondage because they have not yet worked out their debt of unforgiveness. Some people are in church, they come every single week, and they're wondering, why am I still in bondage? And God is saying right now, the reason you're still in bondage is because you have not yet forgiven those that have hurt you. The scripture says that that man was not released from bondage until the situation was completely fixed. Completely fixed, right? It didn't say until they worked out an installment plan. It didn't say until he paid 75%. It didn't say until he worked the majority off and made a promissory note for the rest. It said that he stayed in bondage until the entire situation was resolved. What that means for us is that if you want a breakthrough... It can't happen until all unforgiveness is resolved. You will stay in bondage until the situation is really fixed. And I specifically put this point last because I feel deep in my heart that some of you love God so much. Lust maybe is not an issue. Hatred's not an issue. You don't have a hateful bone in your body. But you're wondering, why can't I get my breakthrough? Why am I still in bondage, pastor? And that's because you've not yet forgiven the predator. You haven't yet forgiven the backstabber. You haven't forgiven 
the gossiper. You haven't forgiven the one that you thought had your back and best interest and they completely walked all over you and now they're living on enjoying their life but you got what the Bible says a bitter root in you. And if a bitter root has you, then you're in bondage. And God wants to set you free. Jesus said, I've come to set the captive free. Free. Do y'all hear that? Free. Free. No more bondage. No more chains. No more. You, you are free. So here's what I want to do. If there's anybody here, we're going to close. We're going to sing a song together. If there's anybody here that says, Pastor, you know what? This message is for me. I, 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 just, I just want to continue to grow and be changed. I, I believe that you have prepared this series for me. And, and I got some lust that I got to work out. I've got some hatred I got to work out. And I've got some resentment I got to work out. Or, or maybe it's just one. Maybe it's all three. I, I don't know what it is. But, but if you say that this message was for me. And I want God to do a new work in my life. I want to see things differently and feed my heart the things of God. And I play a part in what happens internally. Can you just stand with me? Just stand right where you are. That's all I'm asking. And, and I am already standing because I believe that God is working on me. Can you stand with me all over? Stand on me with me. If this is for you and you say, God, I want you to do my eyes over. I need a reality check, God. And this is what happened today. Do you see all the hands raised? Do you know what this means? That we're not alone. We're, we're in this together. We're in this together. Do you all hear that? We are in this together. The enemy wants you to think you're the only one that deals with lust, but you're not. We are in this together. The enemy wants you to think you're the only one that's got hatred in your heart, but you're not. We're in this together. Some of you think that you're the only one with unforgiveness, but can I tell you that we are in this together? And lust will destroy you, but your eyes can heal you. That hatred will destroy you, but your perception can change you. Unforgiveness will keep you bound, but if you get the right perception today, you can have the keys to unlock you from the hell that you've been in. Father, I pray right now for all of us that are standing up. I pray that you will help us to be better. God, our eyes need to be healthy. Our perception needs to change. Our focus needs to change. And I pray that the eyes of lust are going to be better disciplined and that we are changing them. I'm praying the eyes, the heart of hatred is being changed. I'm praying for unforgiveness that it's being fixed. God, I pray in Jesus' name that as my brothers, my sisters, and myself, as we go our various ways and try to feed our heart light, that you'll help us. Help us to be disciplined. Help us to set boundaries. Help us to do whatever it takes to feed our heart light. 
Father, I pray blessings over the word of God that has went forth today. That it will not be quickly forgotten, but that it will sit and take root. And that we will grow in Jesus' name. And we, the people of Diverse City, say amen, amen, and amen. God bless you guys. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you for joining us, and we hope this message blessed you. 